Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Do I say anything? I'm afraid to say anything because in our last live broadcast, right when I got ready to say, good evening, everyone, I I almost threw the iPad across the room and all you hear is this weird, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm about to, I don't know what I'm about to say, but it was like, oh no, I'm about to lose an iPad and it's going to go who knows where. But I, I, I decided to start this live broadcast without holding the iPad in my hand. It is, is laying here on the table next to me. But good evening, everyone. Welcome. It is Tuesday, April the 26th, 2022. It is currently 8.25 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live two stories above a street right here in Abilene, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you listen to the last live broadcast, you know that I, well, have been involved in jury duty for the last two days. All of Monday, I uh, got done, I say I got home sometime after, I think, 5 p.m. Uh, today. Um, today, we, we rendered the verdict and, and everything ended, and you can hear me moving everything around here. I've got books and everything here next to me. I'm sorry about that. I'm moving everything around because my whole setup is all messed up, but I, I needed this. That's what I needed my sound effects. Yeah, we we have a big production dollars here, right here. When I need a sound effect, I will I'll just use a piece of paper. It will all make sense. But since I've been gone basically for two days, having haven't been able to do any live broadcast, really haven't been able to respond to anyone. Um, I haven't been able to answer emails. There was a voicemail that was left to uh, left for us at uh, theologycentral.net. I do appreciate you. That person who left the voicemail, you're the first person to ever leave a, vo- a voicemail at theologycentral.net. I even asked people to leave voicemails at theologycentral.net, but only one person did so, and it was kind of hilarious because their whole reason was, I've read Calvin's Institutes, and Calvin was wrong. And I was like, wrong about why? Are you telling me everything Calvin said in the Institutes was wrong? <laughs> I was So I'm going to have to respond to that one at some point. But I was like, wait, so you read Calvin's Institutes and Calvin was wrong about everything? I mean, that, that, that the, the, the Institute is the Institutes of the Christian Religion by John Calvin. That, that's a lot of pages. So, I mean, that's a lot of content to say he was just wrong. They did not specify wrong about what, like what? What specifically was he wrong about? And if he was wrong about a specific thing, what about the people who came before him who may have taught the very same thing? Well, yeah, we can get to a big church history thing, but I haven't been able to respond to that. But the one, what I wanted to do now, since I have, you know, I I have a little bit of an opportunity. I'm still trying to gather myself after kind of an emotional situation today with the jury duty and and the verdict you can go listen to. I, I just spent about 45 minutes processing all of my emotions live on the air. But uh, I got an email on April the 26th. I guess it was, I, I guess this was today. I thought I actually thought it was yesterday. Uh, so April the 26th at 9.38 a.m. So I got it this morning. So I'm doing pretty good already responding to it. Uh, but I got it this morning. And so email, that's our, that's our super expensive special effects for email. 
whenever I'm responding to an email. Not that I actually print it out because I don't. <laughs> I read it on my iPad, but there's no cool sound effects for that, right? Okay, I need to get that, uh, what is it, AOL, you've got mail. I need to get that uh, audio for that. Is it copyrighted, I wonder? You've got mail. And I could just play that anytime I got, I, I, we'd have to find, it's probably copyrighted. Someone probably owns the copyright to it, so I probably couldn't use it. But I, I, nobody owns the copyright to this. So we have mail to respond to. So are you ready? This is the, the title for this email. Question about a verse in Luke. So someone's writing me, asking me a question about a verse in the gospel of Luke. All right. So you've got my attention. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. Okay. You see, I'm thinking my, my first thought was, well, we've been working. The Bible study exercise has been on Matthew 24 on the Olivet Discourse, which shows up in Mark and shows up in Luke. I bet you it's going to be a question about the Olivet Discourse as recorded in Luke. Okay, this will go perfectly with the Bible study exercise. So I'll I'll turn on the microphone, do another episode for the Bible study exercise, and boom, we'll add the email, which will spark more discussion, and it'll make everyone's Bible study exercise this week even more beneficial. But no, it's not on the Olivet Discourse. Here's what we find, all right? Again, question about a verse in Luke. April 26, 9.38 a.m. I'm sorry, I keep looking away from the microphone. I don't want to hold my, I'm scared to hold my iPad now because I don't want that to happen again. I I was so scarred emotionally by the last live broadcast, but here we go. Are you ready? I have a concerning question regarding this passage. Now, let me stop right there. Now, when anyone says they have a concerning question, I take that seriously because I don't know about you. I've read the Bible and studied the Bible, and sometimes, man, I get these questions that to me are very concerning. They bother me, they trouble me, and I want an answer. And so I remember when I was a young Christian wishing I could get people to answer questions. So I take that responsibility seriously that when someone emails me, I try my best to respond as soon as possible. I felt bad. I thought this one was actually sent yesterday. So I feel a little bit better that I'm still responding, but it's 8.31. So it's almost been 12 hours. So, you know, there's still a long time for someone to wait. So hopefully they will hear this soon. I'm going to email them back and say, hey, I just recorded, you know, I did a live broadcast answering your question. But if you ever have a question, look, there's a million pastors and Christian podcasters out there. Feel free to email them. You may get a better answer. Uh, But if you can't get an answer, then feel free to email me, newsif at yahoo.com. And I always promise you, I will do my very best. And we will never because I've seen some Christian podcasters do this, that if you want to ask the host a question, you have to be a supporter and you have to pay them $5 a month, $10 a month. And that to me is utterly, that is just to me almost blasphemous because we should be wanting to minister to people, not charging people for the privilege to minister to them. It just seems weird, but okay. But always email me. Again, there's sometimes I can't respond as quickly as I would like, but I will always do my best, okay? I will always do my best, all right? So here we go have a concerning question regarding this passage. And, and he's going to quote it. Then he said to them, but now whosoever has a money bag should take it and also a traveling bag. And whoever doesn't have a sword should sell his robe and buy one. 
For I tell you, what is written must be fulfilled in me. And it was counted among the lawless. Yes, what is written about me is coming to fulfillment. Lord, they said, look, here are two swords. That is enough, he told them. Luke 22, 36 through 38. Now, the minute I saw what verse they had a question about, I kind of did one of these. Oh, no, 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 no. Then I started questioning my willingness to answer questions because no matter how I answer this question, I'm about to offend someone. Someone is about to get upset with me. This is a no-win situation. This is one of those things that this is, there is no gain for, I'm going to lose subscribers on YouTube. I'm going to lose people listening to me. May, I may lose people who, who actually support us. I, th- 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 this is no win for me. There's no upside in doing this. But because there's no upside tells me that I need to do it because the fact that there's no upside mean, meaning that the answer to this is extremely unpopular and that this, this passage, I think, has been abused. And that's why you can't win when you answer this. Look, when you can't win, that means that there are very strong opinions, different, that differing opinions about it. And if you try and you don't pick a side, you're going to end up in trouble. And for me, I'm going to end up in trouble by both sides. All right. But here we go. We're in the Gospel of Luke. And whenever discussions arise, about Christians, gun ownership, background checks, anything dealing with guns and Christians. Almost, you can almost just count down the seconds. You say something that that's not full-blown, everyone should have a gun, everyone should have an open carry permit, everyone should have a concealed carry permit, and the way to stop all of the gun violence in this country is to give 10 people more guns. We Not 10 people, to give every person 10 more guns. Yeah, that's, but 10 people would not be sufficient for those. They want everyone to have 10 more guns. So everyone should have guns. Everyone should, guns, guns, guns. The solution is more guns. Oh, there was a school shooting. The solution is more guns. There was another school shooting. Arm the teacher arm the students, arm the janitor, arm the school nurse, arm the counselor, arm the principal, arm arm the, the people who cut the ground, arm everybody. Okay, maybe that's a little bit of hyperbole, but it always turns into whenever these discussions about guns arise, if you call into question going, you know what? I just don't know if Christianity is compatible or consi- if, if a biblical perspective is truly consistent with owning a gun, maybe even using a gun. I don't know I don't know how consistent this is. If you just call it into question, if you even just a little bit like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How do we reconcile carrying a gun and then taking that gun out to, I mean, if you're going to pull the gun and you're going to point it at someone, you have to acknowledge there's an intent to kill. I mean, because you're getting ready to take a gun and shoot at someone. How do I reconcile that with things like Jesus saying, love your enemy, turn the other cheek, resist not evil. Do good unto them who would persecute you or use you. Well, how do I reconcile that with 
boom, I have a gun and I'm going to shoot you. How do I reconcile that? Now, some people try to reconcile it with the Constitution, but as Christians, we don't get our morality from the Constitution. We get our morality from God's Word. So how do we reconcile this? Now, just, just the fact that I'm even raising questions. People, you're a liberal. You're a communist. You're a socialist. Oh, and, and just calm down. Here's what I'm not. I'm not committed to your political party, and I don't care what political party you, I don't care if you're Republican, I don't care if it's about Trump, I don't care if it's about the Constitution, I'm not, I'm not beholden to your politics, I'm not beholden to the Constitution of the United States of America. What I, what I am beholden to is the Word of God, which I think should make me a very good citizen in the United States of America. But I'm not it's not about America first. It's not about the Constitution first. It's not, and you've seen this. You've seen a lot of Christians post things on social media. It'll basically like, you know, the Bible, the American flag, and a gun. And like, you know, all you need. And I'm like, whoa, where did the gun come into play here? But whenever you call it into question, so I'm saying, but Jesus told people to buy swords. 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 And they immediately like, that proves everything. See, Jesus told people to buy swords. This has to be the answer to all of the questions about guns. And I don't know if it's that easy. I really don't. And not only that, I think if I was going to make an argument for gun ownership and being able to use a gun and self-defense, I think I could come up with a far better argument than this, even if I may disagree, I still think I could come up with a better argument. It just seems weird that they go to this passage and somehow this passage is somehow proof that we should all go buy a gun. And I'm like, there, there's a lot of issue. Is that really the purpose? Is this purpose, is the purpose of this passage really to instruct us on the controversial issue of guns and gun control in the United States of America? I will argue this has that has nothing to do with this passage in any way, shape, or form. And I think to try to force that kind of application into it is majorly problematic. But let's let's see what the emailer has to say in regards to this. All throughout the Gospels, we learn that Jesus was, for the most part, a pacifist. So I have an issue with this. Luke was written 80 to 110 years after the death of Jesus. So this isn't first or even secondhand information. So I'm conflicted by this, and it seems out of character. Could you please help me understand this verse? All right, now there's a lot to unpack here. First, let's just start with the dating question, all right? You state in a very dogmatic way that Luke was not written until 80 to 110 years after the death of Christ. If you do any research on the dating for the Gospel of Luke, you're going to find all kinds of arguments for all kinds of different dates. Let me just show you just a random search, just in a a, a few minutes of searching and just going through different resources that I had available to me. Some say 85. Some say between 80 and 90. Encyclopedia Britannica has it between 63 and 70. 63 and 70. Others make this argument 
that um, Luke, and see, I mean, if I can find this, if Acts was written about AD 62, and some people say Acts was written in AD 62, then this helps date the four gospel. The book of Acts is the second half of a treatise written by Luke to uh, a certain individual. Since we know that the Gospel of Luke was written before the book of Acts, then we can date the Gospel of Luke sometime around 60 AD or before. All right, so that makes an argument as early as 60, because we uh, Acts is the second half of a treatise, and Luke is the first part, and Luke was clearly written before Acts. So... There, that would make an art. Now, I'm not being dogmatic. I'm just saying that when you have so many differing sources, I mean, how many different, let's see, we got 85, 80 to 90, 63 to 70, all the way down to 60. Those are four different sources, all four different dates. All right. One of those is from Columbia, uh, Columbia University. One of those is from Wikipedia. One of those is from um, Encyclopedia Britannica. One of those is from blueletterbible.org. And I guarantee you, if I, if I go to, well, I'm not, if I was to drive to the church right now, grab the Bible dictionaries and the Bible handbooks and just start looking at, I bet you we would get a, a, a number of different dates. So all I can say is this, I would not be so dogmatic and say, well, that's when it was written. When you have that many different dates, you've got to be a little bit more willing to go, hmm, okay, uh, what? In other words, if, if the so-called experts can't be dogmatic, then that means we probably cannot be dogmatic. But I have to challenge you on something here, all right? Luke was written 80 to 110 years after the death of Jesus. Let's, for argument's sake, let's, for argument's sake, say your dating is absolutely correct. Because I always love to do this. When, I, when someone says something that I may disagree with, what I always tend to do is just say, okay, for argument's sake, let's agree with your perspective, and now let's walk it through and see if it holds water if it falls apart. Here's, here's where I think your argument may fall apart. And this depends on what you believe. And if you don't believe what I'm getting ready to explain, then we really don't need to even worry about what Luke says. And and so let me explain this. All right, so it says, Luke was written 80 to 110 years after the death of Jesus. So this isn't first or even secondhand information. So I'm conflicted by this and it seems out of character. Now, here's where I have an issue. If you don't believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. If you don't believe all scripture is given by inspiration, God breathed. If you don't believe it's the God breathed inspired word that is inerrant and infallible, then that means you can call into question anything in the Bible which you do not like or you have a problem with. At this point, then the Bible loses all sense of authority. And really, what's the point of arguing what a verse means? Like, like you're, you're making an argument, well, I don't know if I can really trust this because it's not first or even secondhand information because it was written at such a later time. Well, if that's your, I mean, think about it. Can you re- trust Genesis? Genesis talks about the origins of everything, but it was written by Moses. Most would argue, there's some scholars that would argue against that. But if you have Mosaic authorship, 
Well, he comes along way after the events of Genesis. So that means you can't trust that. Like I, we could go on and on and on. Like, well, wait a minute. When did that, when was this written? Who wrote this? And you can begin to call everything into question with that kind of an argumentation. The question is, do you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God? If you believe it's the inspired word of God, then the issue is, yes, this is scripture. We have to deal with it. We may not like it. We may not be able to answer it. It may be lead to confusion. It may bother us, but we have to deal with it. Or we say, well, I don't believe the Bible's inspired. Well, then there's no point in arguing what Luke 22, 36 through 38 says, because it's not really God's word. It was written by men. And when I say written by men, in other words, it was just, obviously the Bible was written by men. What I'm saying written by men, in other words, they were just writing what they thought. They were just writing their, their thinking. It's not from God. It's just from man. Obviously, man had to write it, so I probably could have stated that in a more clear way. What I'm trying to say is, if you don't believe it's inspired by God, it's just, it's only the words of men. Therefore, what authority do they have? Why do I, why do I need to figure out what Luke 22, 36 through 38 says? Okay? It was just written by some guy. Why do I need to worry about what John three sixteen says? It was just written by some guy. Why do I, why I have to believe anything when, when, why do I believe that Jesus died for me, uh, died, uh, died on the cross for my sins? I don't have to believe that. It was just written by some guy. In other words, at some point then, mm, yeah, that, that becomes a problem. That, that, that leads to almost a denial of the inspiration of scripture, which destroys the authority of scripture, which destroys any real reason to figure out what it's saying. Because it's just the word, it's just the words of men without any divine direction of what is in it. If we believe it's inspired by God, then guess what? The words in Luke were put there, ultimately there by God as men wrote as they were led by the Spirit. So it really comes down to what is your belief about inspiration? If you say, I don't believe it's inspired. All right. Then does it really matter what it says? What makes it authoritative? So that would be my issue there. But I do believe that you could argue, wait a minute, this seems a little, this, this seems a little out of character, doesn't it? So let, let's go back and try to figure out exa- exactly what's going on. So we go back to Luke chapter 22, all right? We go back to Luke chapter 22, all right? Now, this is, if you, if you look at Luke chapter 22, verse 1, now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, uh, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. This is everything leading over to the Passover, the institution of basically what we would call the Lord's Supper. All of that is taking place, all right? Then you get down to verse 36. If you go back to verse 33... Jesus has predicted basically what's going to happen that, hey, Satan desires, if you go back to verse 31, Luke 22, 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, uh, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for thee that that thy faith fell not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. Verse 34, and he said, I tell thee, Peter, the crock, the Cock shall not crow 
this day, before thou hast, for thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. And he said unto them, so he, he's telling Peter, all, this is all going to happen. This horrible thing, you're going to deny me three times. It's this horrible situation, but I'm praying for you. And all of this news is happening. And in the midst of all of that, he said unto them, this would be the disciples. By now he, he that hath the purse, let him take it. And likewise his scrip, and he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you, that this that is written must yet be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. Now, this is specific instructions for the disciples. Very specific directions here. And I don't know how you can take these and go, this somehow applies to guns. I'm not saying that that's what the emailer is doing, but this is what a lot of people do. Um, you may say it seems a little out of character. Possibly. We have to do some work to see why. Um, but I just think it's hard to, to take this and say that this is somehow prescriptive. This is describing instructions given to the disciple in a very specific situation. So he tells them to sell, all right? Uh, uh, take your purse and likewise his scrib. He that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. So if you don't have a sword, go sell your garment and buy one, all right? Then verse 38, they said, Lord, behold, here are two swords. And he said unto them, it is enough. Now, wait a minute. He first seems to imply that you all need one. And they said, we've gotten two. All right, that's sufficient. So, they only have two out of, we could, we'll go with the idea of 12 disciples. Out of 12, they only have two. All right. What is, does that mean that these swords are somehow instruments of defense, instruments of offense? Like, obviously he's not, he initially said everyone to buy one, but he immediately just said, okay, two, two is sufficient. Why is two sufficient? Why, what, wouldn't you need more? I mean, are you, are you going to defend yourself? Now, I will argue Peter ends up using one of them, correct? Right? When they come to arrest Jesus, ends up chopping off someone's ear, and he's told to put away the sword. Right? Yes? Now, what kind of sword is this? What was Peter trying to do? What was going on? Well, a couple of things. Let's go to Luke 22 in the Blue Letter Bible app. Luke 22. We can go down to verse, let's go to verse 36. I'm going to open up the interlinear. And it says, okay, we're going to find the word sword here. Okay. I'm interested here, making sure, okay, and buy a sword. Here is the Greek word that is used. Strong's G, 3162, Machara, Machara. Machara, Machara. Now, Machara is used 29 times. Machara uh, is a knife, a uh, Figuratively, war, judicial punishment, or sword, right? So it's a knife, but it can be used in a figurative way to describe something related to war or judicial punishment, a sword. Um, if you, 
if you let's see, if we go through the different ways that it's used, uh, in other words, it could be used in a very figurative way. In other words, Matthew 10, 34. Think not that I'm come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. In other words, war. I came to cause war, division, not not peace. So that one is not referring to a physical instrument. He's referring to obviously being used in a figurative way. Matthew 26, 47, while he yet spoke, oh, Judas, one of the 12, came with him, a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people, all right? So now they are coming with swords, right? Same, same Greek word here, all right? Same Greek word. Now, this just, uh, it, 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 this, this can be used to describe a lot of different things. You'll see this in a minute, all right? There is an actual sword, Matthew 26, 51. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, struck a servant on the high priest and smote off his ear. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 52, put away again thy sword in its place for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. So someone has a sword, right? And then they are told to put away the sword. Don't use it. They take it and someone's ear is chopped off. Don't do that. Stop it. Stop it. Jesus stops it. So when they use it in an offensive way, or you could argue in a defensive way, where they're coming to get Jesus, they there is rebuke for it. It, feel, it. it sounds like that the Greek word can be used to describe the following. A large knife used for killing animals and cutting up flesh. So if it's... Hey, go buy a sword, and if they go buy that, then they're just buying something that they're using as a tool for cutting up uh, as they are uh, as cutting up flesh or killing an animal. Right? Could be used for skinning uh, to 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 uh, for for if they've caught a fish and they're going to make sure it's ready so that they can eat it or killing an animal. This would be a tool. Would not be a weapon. Would be a tool, but it could it can be used that way. It can be used as a small sword distinguished from a large sword. But it can refer to a curved sword for a cutting stroke or a straight sword for thrusting. So it sounds like it could be referring to all kinds of different. It could just be, hey, guys, you're going to need a sword, quote unquote, a knife used for tools that you're going to need, killing an animal, other things that you may need to use a, a knife for. That would just be using it more as a tool which would make very a, a lot of sense in that particular situation um, at that particular time. Or it could be like, you need a sword, and you could argue it's a sword for some kind of defense. You, you could make an argument that that's what he's saying. But again, the first time it's used in uh, that type of situation, they are rebuked and said, hey, those who live by the sword are going to die by the sword. That seems to go against the idea of using it in an offensive or defensive way. Some said, well, but because Jesus had to go to the cross. Okay, but he. Ne- when did he give them any better uh, instructions on when or when not to use it? Because Matthew says, love your enemy, turn the other cheek. That seems to go against using it for that particular way, right? I, we have to at least acknowledge the difficulty here. So that's, that's what we're left with. You can go all through all 29 uses of it, Um you can go through every one. You're going to see it's used in a, a, a lot of different ways, but I don't think there's anything there definitive about what we can say or can't do. Or, or There's nothing definitive there about exactly what kind of sword they bought. They got them really quick. They didn't even get 12. They only got two. 
And Jesus said, that is enough. Then when Peter uses it to chop off the ear, he gets rebuked for it. Jesus heals the person and says that those who live by the sword die by the sword. And then we don't ever see them doing that again. Whenever the disciples are attacked or we don't see them taking up weapons to fight back. Now, what I typically hear, a lot of people will say, well, wait a, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, so if someone comes after me and they're going to kill me for being a Christian, I won't fight back. But if they're just going to kill me just for another reason, then I'm going to pull out my gun and fight back. Well, that's like, wait, so, so you got to stop and ask the person first if they're attacking you because you're a Christian. Like, you know what? That just seems like a, a very arbitrary, I think what you're going to end up doing is shooting and asking questions later is what I think you're going to end up doing. But um, a, a lot of churches, they have armed security. If someone comes in with a gun, they're going to shoot the person. And they almost brag about it. Hey, you come into this church, we'll put you down. And I was kind of like, whoa, is that a, is that a Christian? Should churches have people with armed guards? Is, is, that, is that a biblical concept? Some will say, absolutely. And again, they sound more like a Republican or a member of the National Rifle Association more than they sound like a Christian sometimes. Some will go to this passage can you, can you make a definitive argument from this passage? I don't think this passage has anything telling us about what to do. Are you, I mean, by this argument, then here's what I would say. Did everyone in the early church buy a sword? And then you could argue, he said, buy a sword, not buy a gun. But so you would tell me that throughout church history, Hey, sell your, if you don't have a sword, sell your garment and buy a sword. Did, was Christians all walking around armed with swords? That just, I don't think there's anything in church history that would be like that this became like, hey, you know, believe in Jesus, get baptized, sell your garment and buy a sword. I, I don't think that it became like, you know, <laughs> discipleship 101, go out and buy that sword. I, I, I don't think anyone saw this as a prescriptive thing telling us what to do. I think it's descriptive that he gave those disciples specific instructions. I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to take from that. And I think to try to, to do that just becomes really problematic. But let me offer to me, in some ways, maybe the best argument for this. All right. Now stay with me here. I know I'm going beyond what the original emailer asked, but that's okay. I'll just stay with me here, right? Now, I'm going to try to, to, to make sense. Now, first of all, if a Christian decides not to buy a gun, I don't think they should be condemned by that in any way, shape, or form, right? If they are against guns, maybe they take a very pacifistic stance, Maybe even a very pacifistic stance, uh, even against self-defense. There's plenty throughout church history who took a very, pacifism was a very much a, a, a common, a, it was a very well-known philosophy amongst many within the Christian history. They're just like, no, we will not fight back. We, we're going to love our enemy. We're going to turn the other cheek. We're going to resist not evil. We're not going to do that because... You know, the worst they can do to us is send us to heaven. The worst that we could do is possibly kill someone and send them to hell. So many Christians were like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. So many took a more pacifistic approach. and like, I'm going to show love even if it means my death. Other Christians, obviously, especially as you grow, especially in the United States of America, took a more like, nope, you, you try to come after me, I'm going to kill you. And so now many churches, 
I, I got I got a call what a couple of years ago. Hey, we have uh, we have you scheduled for doing arms training for some of the men in your church. And I'm like, wait, what? And they had the wrong church. I'm like, well, my church, we don't have armed guards and we're not going to have armed guards. It's, we're a church. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do that. It just seems so, I, I heard, a, uh, it was a sermon from a church in Dallas, Texas. They were bragging uh, about the fact that, hey, if you come into their church, hey, if someone comes into our church, just if you, if someone comes in, you just get down, you just go to the ground because we got men in this church armed and they will take out the person. They will get, they will kill them, right? Basically. And they almost bragged about it on, on, on radio. It was insane. Like it was almost like, Hey, you know what? And this church, you just go down. We got men behind you. They got guns. They're going to take them out. And I'm like crazy. And then they tell this absolutely insane story that some, that they, they, their church is kind of in the uh, inner city of, I guess, some part of Dallas, I guess, kind of a rough neighborhood, according to them. And someone had come in and was causing a commotion, was causing a commotion. So they were trying to escort the person out. This, they literally tell this story on radio. It's, now, as soon as they told the story, I think within 24 hours, the sermon had been removed from their website. Go figure. But so, so there's someone causing a disturbance. They're trying to uh, usher them out. And the, the person who's causing the disturbance reached into like his pocket and immediately... One of the men in the church pulled out a gun, got ready to fire, and realized the person was just pulling out their cell phone, came really close to killing an innocent person. But they saw that as like a badge of honor. See, we're tough. We don't mess around in this church. You come in here and mess with us. We got guns. And I'm like, what has happened to the church? I, I don't understand. And, and this part of Texas, gun giveaways from churches is like, Man, that's like a badge of honor. We're giving away an AR-15. We're giving, and next Sunday, we're giving, and I'm like, your church is giving away a gun, and they, they, and but they'll say, Jesus told everyone to buy a gun. Well, then why, like, it's just, or buy a, a sword, but they basically make it uh, synonymous with buying a gun. It's just crazy how far we have gone. But if someone doesn't want a, a gun, I don't think they should be condemned. Now, if someone wants a gun, well, you could argue. That Luke 22, that would be allowed to buy at least a weapon that could be used in a defensive or offensive manner, right? I mean, the word sword there seems to have a, a wide range of meaning. Can be a knife, though. So you can't just completely go with that. You would have to ask yourself, how does this work with loving your enemy? How do you love your enemy while you're shooting them? How does that work? You say, what, what, but, 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 but. No, I, 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 I have to defend my property or my family. People would make that argument. Here's what I would say. Here's to me is maybe the best way to deal with it. The Bible does this in Romans chapter 13. You know that passage that everyone wanted to throw out during COVID? I don't think we should have thrown it out because I think this is very possible, helpful here. You'll see how I, I, I try to process this. Tell me if you think this works. Romans chapter 13, verse 1, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Meaning that, hey, we can sub submit ourselves to the government, to that power, because it's been ordained by God. Now, I understand there's some situations where we may have to resist, but our normal posture should be, how can we respect and honor the government and obey it? That should always be our first thought, first and foremost, okay? 
But so because that power has been put there by God. Now, please know this. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of good to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. Now, clearly, this is the uh, the ability of the government to execute punishment. They have a God-ordained power to execute punishment. They have the sword. Now, this is the way I think about it. Okay, the government has power. In the United States of America, that government has authorized the citizens the right to take up arms and to bear arms and in many states have given the citizen many rights when it comes to self-defense. Now, you got to know the self-defense laws in each state because they, they, they differ greatly. And you got to know exactly what you can and cannot do because you can be using self-defense and find yourself going to jail if you do so incorrectly. But you could argue to me that the government authorizes me certain rights and privileges and powers. So by me taking up a gun and then utilizing it to protect myself, I'm I am submitting myself to the authority of the government and doing what they allow me to do. They have the power to use the sword. And in a sense, they give me that power to use it in cases of self-defense. Or if I join the United States military, they then authorize me the ability to use the sword, right, and carrying out some type of war, right? Now, we can get into a discussion about the just war doctrine. I think war would have to meet a certain qualification. But I think there that, to me, makes more sense than the Luke. The Luke passage just seems to have, it's not in it. It's just telling, hey, these disciples, here's what you can do. Sell your garment, buy a sword. They only get two. So it's not even all of them end up with one. And then the first time someone uses it, they get in trouble. Uh, and then you have... Uh, they that that the, the word there could simply refer to a knife. So I I don't I don't know if I would use that the 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 revelation the Romans passage. The beauty of it is okay. I I'm a part of the I'm a part of the United States of America. I submit myself to its government. That government has authorized me the ability and the right to take up arms, and those arms can be used in the following situations. It can be used for self-defense if it meets this criteria. It can be used uh, in whatever the case may be. Then I would be like, okay, I'm, I'm in a sense submitting myself to that government, and they have the power to use the sword, and they authorize me the right to do so. Now, you, now you still have to work around the passages that say, turn the other cheek, love your enemy, that seem to be very pacifistic in nature. You, you can't deny that. Jesus is very pacifistic, and those, uh, those, 
versus. There's, now, people will say, no, turn the other cheek doesn't mean if someone's really hurting you. It just means turn your cheek from an insult. In other words, we so water those down that basically anyone can follow them. You know, it basically, and again, my whole argument is when Jesus talks about resisting not evil, turn the other cheek and love your enemy, that's in the Sermon on the Mount. And I think the goal of the Sermon on the Mount is to condemn all of us. And if we water it down to something that we can actually do, well, then it doesn't do what it's, it's supposed to be making the law of God, showing us the true nature of God's law, which condemns us. It's not supposed to be like, oh, I can do that. Well, just turning the cheek from an insult is not that hard to do. Getting actually slapped in the face and doing it, mm, I don't know if I can do that in my sinful nature. So therefore it condemns me, demonstrating I need a savior. Now, even though I believe it's law that's supposed to point me to Jesus, it still is a moral directive, which I'm supposed to try to put into practice, no, no matter how imperfect it may be. I just know that, I, you know, I and I, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that's Old Testament. That's not for us. It's not supposed to, we're not supposed to be seeking revenge, not an eye. We're supposed to be turning the other cheek. We're supposed to be loving our enemy. Now, the, the government is supposed to be bearing the sword. Now, you could argue, well, wait a minute, if, if that government allows me to do so, then am I, am I following Romans? Th- In other words, can you follow Romans 13 by bearing the sword under the legal authorization of the government, but at the same time, does that negate the very, very strong type of pacifism that Jesus seems to call for in the Sermon on the Mount, which is, no, resist not evil. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemy. What? Where is the balance there? There's not an easy balance. Look, I got, I, I'm, uh, I, I'm here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. I may be the only person in my church, I can probably guarantee you, who doesn't own a gun. People in my church probably own a lot of guns. I probably don't even want to know how many guns and how many rounds of ammunition they own. I I don't. Uh, Mine is a... Uh, 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 I'm gonna just. I was just gonna say more from a personal conviction. Here's a couple of reasons. If someone was to break into my house, try to harm my family, and I got the gun, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to eliminate said threat. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to eliminate the threat. I'm going to kill another human being. You can say, well, you could try to shoot him in the leg. You don't. You die. I, that that's some weird Hollywood stuff. You know, you shoot for center mass and you take the, the threat down. That's what you do. If you're going to pull out a gun, you eliminate the threat. I mean, trying to play some fancy little game where I'm going to try to, I'm going to shoot you in your big toe is just that you're going to probably end up getting killed by, with your own gun. So my, my thing is I would probably end up killing a human being. I probably would. And I don't know if I could do that in good conscience on one hand, right? I don't know if I could do that because I would feel like, man, I just killed someone, right? Um, and that just they just entered into eternity. I just took someone who was created in the image of God, ended their life, and, and sent them into eternity. That's hard for me to comprehend because I believe that hell is real. That's hard for me to wrap my mind around, right? Now, you're going to say, but you were in the military. Yeah, and why did I join the medical side of the military? Because I was always worried that I don't know if I could carry this out. Even if I believed it was a just war, I would have a hard time in some of those situations going, I'm going to kill people. I, I just have a hard, those are human beings created in the image of God. They are sinners just like me and I'm putting a bullet in them. That That is 
I can't wrap my mind around. I, some Christian men just seem like, yeah, I could kill somebody. And they just almost like, that, you know, not my problem. And I just, I just, oh, that just seems like I, I'm playing God. And that just seems really, really disturbing to me. So I don't own a gun. Many of my church do. Now, I will challenge them at times about it when we preach on Matthew. I will challenge them about, hey, Jesus has a very pacifistic viewpoint. But I'm not going to tell them they're sinning. I I think in some ways it's inconsistent maybe with a pro-life Jesus kind of perspective. Okay, sometimes I'm a, I, I, I do sometimes question that it's sometimes people who live in the country who are like, I got to have a gun to protect my family. I'm like, when was the last time there was a house invasion in the city? You, when was the last time? Give, I mean, I mean, it, sometimes it's people who live in the country. You think they live in like, you know, the Ukraine and Russians are invading them. You're like, you do like, they act like, yeah, I got to protect my family. You're like, when would... I, I grew up where you live, and we didn't even lock our front doors. I mean, we didn't. We never locked our door, ever, when I grew up, ever. The house was always on. I don't think we ever locked it. We didn't lock the car. We didn't lock anything, ever. And I'm, I was bad. I've been bad about doing that even, even all the way to 2022, living in cities. At times, we, don't lock, we didn't lock our doors. I don't, we just were very naive, I guess. I don't know. But it's just weird that sometimes as Christians are like, you know, and, it, and, and it's also odd, especially in churches where they have guns, where they're on one hand, they're lifting their hands in praise like, God is our rock, our refuge, our shield, our protector. Nothing can harm me apart from what Jesus allows. All right, everybody got their guns loaded in case someone comes in here shooting. And it's like, wait a minute, I thought you just said God was your protector. So like, how do we, how do we also work that in, right? A lot, it, it, what I found interesting is a lot of people like, I don't need the COVID vaccine because I have faith over fear. I don't need that COVID vaccine because I believe in God, but I own seven guns. <laughs> what? <laughs> wait, wait, what? I, I'm, I'm per- Christians say some really weird things when it comes to guns. And because they don't talk like Christians, they talk like Americans. Christians in other countries are kind of like, what is wrong with you Americans and guns? They don't get it. Now, look, you can be pro-America, pro-gun, pro-Republican. You can be all of that. Just, I just get nervous when you try to use your Christianity in order to justify it. Maybe your Christianity calls it into question a little bit. Pro-life? Uh, but I'll kill you if I need to. You know? Okay, well, I'll, 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 the sanctity of human life, unless I feel that I need to take it for my benefit. You know what I'm saying? But then someone could say, well, I am being pro-life because I'm protecting life. You could make an argument. In other words, when it comes to this, People are going to go in circles and circles and circles. This is what I would say. Those who don't own a gun should not be condemned. Those who own a gun should not be condemned. And I can't not speak in other countries. I'm speaking in America because so far, the United States of America, people have the right to bear arms. So they're not violating law. So they're not doing anything wrong there. Um, now, some Christians I've heard who will say that if, they, if the government tried to come take their guns, they would shoot people. And I was like, wait, what? So if the government said, nope, you can't have your gun and we're going to come take it, you would kill human beings in order to keep your gun? Okay, that stops being Christianity. That turns into some weird, that's nuts. 
Hey, if the government tries to come and take my gun, they're going to, I'm going to shoot them. And you're like, whoa, you're, that's not Christianity. Okay, that's not Christianity. There's nothing in the Bible that would say, defend your right to bear arms. That's insane. I'm arguing that the one of the reasons you could, biblically, is because Romans says, submit yourself to the government, and the government has given you the authorization to do that. A lot of times when you call 911 and there's a possible threat, they will ask you, do you have a gun in the house? There's our way to protect yourself, especially here in Texas. I can't speak in other states. Well, that's, in a sense, that's a government representative, in a sense, if a, a law enforcement telling you to protect yourself. So I think sometimes Romans 13 can kind of work with that. But then if, if, if the government decided you don't own, can't own a gun, who are you to take that gun and then try to fight the government and kill them? I don't think that's biblical. That, that may be American. You may, say, you may say it's constitutional, but it's not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So I don't think, I think we have to give some leeway here as Christians try to work through this. If you own a gun and you're willing to kill someone for it, if you're willing to kill someone with it, then you have to ask yourself, how does that fit in with love your enemy, turn the other cheek, resist not evil, bless them who would persecute you and use you? How, how do you reconcile that? You may say, I don't have a problem. Okay. Do you not have a problem just because you're so committed to your gun? Like, you've got to ask yourself some very tough questions here. I just don't think Luke 22 is any way giving us guidelines on sword buying. I, I, I don't, that's not the point there. Telling the disciples what to do. And again, I just want to stress, they end up with only two. The next time we see one using a sword, they use it in a defensive manner because they're coming to arrest Jesus. They have swords and they get not only rebuked for doing so, told to put away, says those who live by it will die by, and the person whose ears chopped off is healed by Jesus, demonstrating he does not resist evil. He loves his, the enemy and he turns the other cheek. So I, I, I can't own one because I, I, don't, I just don't think I could do so. Now, let me make it very clear. Let me make it very clear. I am not saying I'm more spiritual than anyone because I know if someone tried to break into my house and hurt someone, I don't own a gun, but I will use every means necessary to try to defend my, my family. I will. I will try to use everything that I know to do, to do so to try to defend them. I would hope I wouldn't have to kill them. I would hope I could subdue them in some other way, but I will probably be vicious and when it's all said and done. Here's the thing. I just don't feel personally that I could do it and then feel like that I did a righteous thing. I think I've, I've felt like I, 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 would, I wouldn't be, put it this way, I wouldn't be able to justify it. Like, like there's one thing to acknowledge. Hey, I, if I had a gun, I would shoot someone if they broke in. I just don't think, I'm willing to acknowledge I would, I would will, I'm willing to acknowledge even the, the reason for it and even the desire to do so because of, of wanting to protect and, and concern. Out of the same time, I just don't feel like I can somehow start twisting Bible verses to make it feel like I can, I can, I can prove it. I, I can do it. Some people will try to go to the Old Testament. I'm like, well, then, you know, we're, that, can, that can be a slippery slope as well. Because the, 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 all kinds of laws in the Old Testament. And so then we pick again the one we want and throw out the ones we don't. It becomes majorly problematic as well. So I think with Luke 
the dating to me is irrelevant because I believe it's inspired scripture. I believe Jesus gave them specific instructions. Does it go against the pacifism? Well, it depends on what kind of swords they bought. If they bought knives to skin animals and to use for cutting rope or whatever other things to gut a fish, whatever else they were trying to do, it would make perfect sense. Right? I mean, I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Texas. I, I can't tell you. I think every boy from the age of six to 20 had a pocket knife. I think we all had knives. They would usually wear them on their hip, a little knife case. Everyone had a knife. Okay. Those knives were not out there, you know, I'm going to go stat. They were used as tools because people, you know, whatever you're doing out in the country, you need a knife for at some point in time. So if they bought that, then it's no, it's, it's no contradiction against the pacifism. Now, some will say, but you don't know. Now, you could argue when Peter tried to chop off his ear, was he using a knife or was he using a long sword? It seems to be different than a long sword. So some sometimes joke that Peter trying to chop off the ear is an absolutely hilarious story because he's trying to do so with a knife. A lot of people will acknowledge that it, that it, it seems like a foolish story. Others will say, Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. See, that proves it was a long sword. Okay, you, you, I can't see. If you cannot be dogmatic, I know this. Whenever Luke was written, it was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to trust that Jesus actually told them to do that. That didn't end up with 12. They ended up with two. A sword is used. Someone's ear gets chopped off. The person using it gets rebuked and said, if those who live by the sword, die by the sword, put it away, don't use it. Jesus then shows love to the person whose ears chopped off. He he does not resist. He 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 takes he he's he's killed and he doesn't fight back and he doesn't resist. I, I know that I know that as a, all those are facts. I know that Luke clearly that section of scripture is not trying to give me a doctrinal thesis on the right to bear arms, guns, or anything like that. It's that's not what it's for. I know Romans thirteen says I'm to submit to the government. And I believe that that government has the right to bear uh, the sword, right? Has the right to execute punishment. But in our governmental system, that government has given us that same right to not to carry out punishment, but to bear arms and to use them in defending ourselves. But the Bible also says, love your enemy, turn the other cheek. You've got to balance all of that out. You say, well, it's almost impossible. I agree. That's why there's so much disagreement in 2,000 years of church history. <laughs> okay. it, it, there, look, if it was easy, there would be agreement, but there's not. So you, each individual Christian, has to struggle with that. I pray that you're never in a situation where you have to kill someone, have to harm someone. I pray that you're never in that situation. That's what I hope, because I don't want anyone to die. Now, I went way beyond the original question, because the original question was just like, so what do we do with Luke 22? I brought in the guns. I brought in everything that usually arises with this, and nobody is going to be satisfied with my answer, because I don't think it's an easy thing to answer. I've read all of the arguments about, see, buy a gun, because Luke 22, you you should own a gun. It's biblical. And I'm like, I just... Where are you getting guns from telling the 12 disciples to buy a sword and they end up with two? 
And that, and the Greek word there could mean simply a knife. I, I, like, how can you be so dogmatic? That, that's crazy. And, and then they ignore everything Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. So, well, he didn't really mean it. That I mean, come on, use common sense. Jesus is not going to tell you to turn the other cheek if you're being physically assaulted. Clearly, when Jesus says love your enemy, he doesn't mean that you can't kill him if you need to. I mean, then then they just water. It just it just seems like everyone wants to be super dogmatic about a situation that I think there's lots of layers and nuance that we have to try to struggle with. There you have it. I pray that whatever you decide, I hope it never comes down to you having to pull out that weapon and kill a human being. That's what I pray for your own peace of mind and because I don't want anyone to die. I do know that the government bears the sword and I support them to do so and to punish and to have arms. I do because the government is there to do that. I believe the military has the right to do that if they meet the just war doctrine, which is a whole separate subject. All right, I'll stop there. You can email me your disagreements at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. All right. Thank you for listening. Everyone have a good night. God bless.